Turn with me, if you would, to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, so-called love chapter, and I'll read verses 1 through 7. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecies and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. May the Lord bless our reading at that point for the improvement of our thought about this verse. The title of the sermon this morning is Love Rejoices in the Truth. I'm just working from the not even one verse really, uh, verse 6, but from one clause within the verse but where it says uh, love, the parenthetical love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. That I wanted to speak about this rejoicing in the truth, especially coming or relating that to the Lord's Supper this morning that we have set before us. Love rejoices in the truth. And you might not think of that as ordinarily linked together. We normally think of love as more of an affection, of the emotions or of the sentiments of the heart. And we think of truth as relating more to the brain. And so you might not think of that uh, being that closely bound together. And you might not think of it also being bound together with the Lord's Supper because we think of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of God's chosen ceremonies that he gives to us. He calls us to obediently celebrate with him. But normally we don't think of the ceremonies uh, necessarily as especially linked to truth, although in the Reformed faith we should, because the we always say that the three marks of the church are God's proclamation of the truth of the word of God, the, the correct celebration of the sacraments, and then the exercise of church discipline. So in the first of those in the first of those two marks of the church, we, we see the the um, the sacraments being very significant. We also see the idea of the proclamation of the truth being really significant. And so maybe it's not that great a stretch to see this connection between the, the sacraments and truth. But again, in the sacraments, we, we see, we're thinking of a, a picture that Jesus gives us. He leaves us, he gives us these elements, this bread and this wine, the fruit of the vine. He gives us uh, that as uh, uh, something to identify with in terms of his work. But it's a picture, and it's you might not think immediately of about the idea of a picture and truth together. But my argument this morning is that that, that is a real significant part of the Lord's Supper, and that uh, that we ought to see those two uh, being together. Now, the, the, the Lord's Supper is called the love feast of the New Testament church, and uh, in one of its places, and it's... Uh, as such, the Lord's Supper is kind of like the, the blossom of the flower, which is Jesus Christ and his gospel. I've given you another picture to think of here, a flower. 
But when you, you think of all the work of Christ, the Lord's Supper is, is sort of a picture of that. Like the, like the blossom is of the glory of a flower. Uh, you, we wouldn't really remark about different flowers if they didn't have blossoms on them. But having different blossoms, we, we see the magnificence of these different flowers, the different uh, genus and species of flowers. And so if you can think of the Lord's Supper today as being like a, uh, the, really, the, in a sense, the quintessence of, of uh, the gospel, the quintessence of uh, the virtue of the gospel, and, and given to us in a glorious picture. Uh, in that spirit, we see that uh, the chapter 11, which we'll read later in terms of the uh, chapter 11, verse 23, we'll read that as our warrant for doing the Lord's Supper. But it's not, it's not um, ironical or inconsequential that we have this focus on the Lord's Supper in the 11th chapter. And then in the 12th chapter, we have the, the discussion of the spiritual gifts. And then in the 13th chapter, we have this discussion about how, how love is one of the quintessential virtues of the Christian, that the Lord is concerned that we love each other, but he's also concerned for the, the truth of that love. And that's something of what we get to as we uh, look at this passage this morning. In that spirit, in the, in the spirit of the Lord's Supper being really special and uh, and uh, in, the, the, in the sense that it's out of the work of the Lord, which is signified in the Lord's Supper, that he could talk about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in chapter 12. And then in the same spirit, he can take, talk about this idea of love, this tremendous idea of love in the Christian life in chapter 13. And you can see how they really, they do fit together, even though you might not have thought of that immediately as you looked at these, these chapters. And so today we come to celebrate this, this love feast, but one of, the, one of the elements of the love feast is this idea of truth. And uh, you notice how the verse, verse 6, it has both a, a negative and a positive. It has a negation, that is what it is not, and then it has a, might call a position of what it is. So uh, it says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now those two, those two things are a little bit different. No, normally we wouldn't think of iniquity and truth being put together, but uh, this teaches us that uh, where there is an absence of truth, that, uh, that iniquity grows pretty easily. And that uh, where there is the truth, then the truth has a kind of power to it and a kind of dynamism to it that will eradicate iniquity uh, from around us. But these are a lot of these concepts that we don't, we don't always think of them together, but we should. Uh, we should think of how the truth of God relates to uh, the, the blessing of the society around that truth and uh, the blessing of the church. Well, you know, the Bible says, thy word is truth in John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. Jesus, in the last few days of his life here upon the earth before he was crucified, we see that in the 17th chapter of John, and he really he says to the Lord, sanctify them, that he prays, sanctify them, that it's the people of God in thy truth. And then he says, uh, the word is truth, John 17, 17. 
Uh, but we realize also that Jesus says he doesn't just speak of it in terms of the uh, this theoretical dimension, or you could call it a propositional dimension of words and sentences and that sort of thing, which we might identify with the idea of truth. But he, but Jesus in John fourteen sixteen says, what does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus, uh, we see that this idea of truth is fairly vibrant, fairly dynamic, and it can be related to a sacrament like this. It's certainly related to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ revealed the Godhead, revealed the Father, and appointed to the Spirit, and he reveled in this idea that uh, that this truth could be related to him personally in his office as Son of God. And so um, there's a tremendous power in that. Now, part of our communion joy ought to be that we were mindful of this idea that as we partake, that we are partaking in the truth. We're, we're, yes, we're doing a ceremony. Yes, we're communing together. But we're all but the, the glory of that. The, the, one of the great glories of that is that it's also really true. Now, I say that in a day where the idea of truth is under all kinds of suspicion and skepticism and doubt. Uh, today, when people talk about truth, they don't really mean a true truth, a true truth which is true for everyone, but they mean what they're saying is that my truth is such and such. You know, my truth is that abortion is wrong, or my truth is that women ought to have sanctity over their bodies and any little bodies that are formed within them, you know, where our view is, no, it's not just your body because this is a new, this is a, a separate person. This is a new person conceived by you and your husband and also by the power of God. But uh, people, they don't get, uh, one of the problems with discussion today is that people don't really have a view that there is a, a truth which is true for everyone, which is objectively true. Well, no matter what you and I think about it, it it's objectively true. But Jesus tells us that, uh, that he, in and of his person, in and of his being, that he was the essence of truth. And he said he summarized that when he gave us the Bible. Thy word, or his word, is truth. John 17, 17. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we ought to think we ought to think a little bit about how one of the glories of the Lord's Supper is that it's really, really, really true. The things that we are celebrating here. It's a real Christ. It's a real promise of salvation if we put our trust in him. It's a real promise of happiness and eternal life if we put our trust in him. And we're having this meal as a confirmation of that. God wants us to have to taste and to smell. He wants our senses to be brought into the complex of our feelings about this and our understandings about this. He doesn't want us to just have this vague intellectual idea about it. He wants us to embrace it. He wants us to see the glory of it and the brightness of it. A number, I've got a number of illustrations this morning, and they, they come from this book that I've been reading recently. It's by this uh, Korean lady. Uh, she escaped to uh, the West uh, from North Korea when she was, eight, I think it was eight years old. So she was very young, she and her mother, and uh, it's a very rare thing that people escape from North Korea because 
the the so-called hermit kingdom of North Korea is very, very ominous in its control over the people and in its it does not give people free to leave freedom to leave the country. It's very restricted, and uh, if you try to leave the country, you can very easily be killed because they would rather have dead bodies on their border than free people escaping out of that culture. So reading this book, I just can't believe that, uh, and, and I came upon it because uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, the Canadian psychologist, erstwhile debater, uh, Jordan Peterson was at, uh, had interviewed her. her. Her life just brings you to tears, the, what she went through. The biggest thing about her life is that she talks about the lack of truth there there was in her life before and now the fact that it's the idea of truth has just exploded before her eyes and her mind as she has uh, as she has reached the the west and you can really see the, the as verse 6 says uh, love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth if you think of those two things iniquity and truth the fact that truth drives out iniquity and that if there's great iniquity that will that will try to drive out the truth but you can see both of those in um, uh, Yoni's, uh, I'm pronouncing it Yoni Park. I'm not 100% sure of the correct pronunciation of that. What the, the amazing thing is that, that in this hermit kingdom of North Korea, that the leader of that king, uh, Kim Jong-un, he and his family has ruled there as uh, absolute dictators for a number of generations now. But they have just gone to radical dimensions or lengths to deny things that we just take so so casually as truth. For instance, in, in North Korea, they don't have any pronoun, any other pronouns than we. You know, we can we can say, I went to church Sunday. They can't they don't say that. There's no I. Uh, they could not uh, they could not uh, translate the Bible where there were passages where uh, Jesus said, I am the way. Uh, the truth and the light. Uh, again, they only have the pronoun we. Well, why is that? Well, they're a communist country. They're collectivist. And so uh, they, uh, they don't, when they, and, and these, these changes, uh, Marxism often tinkers with vocabulary. We see that today in America, where uh, people are trying to change the meanings of words. Our Supreme, our Supreme Court judge was asked recently, uh, can you define the word woman? And she's, oh, no, I can't do it. It's way beyond me, you know. So we, 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 we uh, Americans typically are so naive. We just don't realize when people t- make changes around us, we don't realize that those changes might have really significant reasons. And we just let them do it. And uh, uh, so um, there's no there's no I in, uh, in North Korea. Um Yoni had no idea of the outside world when she came, when she got out. Uh, in in Korea, they do not allow any maps. the The kids in Korea have never seen a globe of the world with the other nations of the world because they don't want the people to think about anything other than what is going on in North Korea. They want them to think that North Korea is the epitome of civilization, the epitome of goodness. And uh, they don't, uh, generally, they don't allow the people to have more than one meal a day, but they don't want them to compare that with anything else. They want them to think that that, whatever they do in North Korea, that that is good and that that is the best. And whatever the state decrees, that is what you ought to want and to expect.
another thing, in North Korea, there is no word for love. Can you imagine that? There's no word in Korean for love. They, they could not, when they got to the 13th chapter here of the Bible, they'd have a terrible time translating it. The only word that they have that fills that place is a, a word for devotion, and it's to the state. So you, we, we, people don't say people don't say to each other in Korea, "I love you," either parents to children or husbands to wives or friends. I, I love you. They don't do that. They only have the idea of devotion, and it's the first meaning of that devotion is devotion to the state. And so you can think of them as being so many uh, robots or so many little automatons that are walk, walking around and interacting, but without uh, the kind of affection and self-identity and awareness that we are, we have personalities and we have lives ourselves, that then it's ours to share with others and to rejoice with others and sharing our love with one another. And so you can see how this would affect even an understanding of the gospel. It would be very difficult to explain the gospel to somebody in Korea. And they just... Um, they, they, I could not believe by reading this book, you just get... She brings you all of the flavor of what it's like to be totally in a different world or universe of meaning and experience. They, food is so rare over there, um, and they, they do not, uh, uh, it, it is not abundant. The, the, the worst time of the year in Korea is the springtime, because all of the food from the previous year has been, been used up. Um, they are, what little agriculture they is, there is, they, they're, they're planting things in the spring, trying to bring out a new harvest, but there's no harvest left from the past, past or very little. And so, uh, and, and the, the, there's nothing green growing. Oh, in Korea, they're very apt to be eating uh, bugs and just anything like that that is alive. But in the springtime, things are coming to life. There, there are new green plants growing, but they are not fully formed yet so that you can eat, eat even the simple things. And so Yoni says that most people that are, that are so frail that they're dying from starvation, most of that happens in the spring. And the kids, the kids know, after just a couple years of existence, they know that this is a really difficult time. And so they fear it, the, the springtime coming. They're, they're hoping that they will get through the spring. If they get through the spring, then they have confidence that they might live another year. Um, thinking about eating the Lord's Supper, uh, Yoni talked in an amazing way about food and being full. She said, before I got into the West, uh, she said, I never, I was never full in my life. She said, matter of fact, we had no concept of being full. Uh, we had no concept of, of eating enough. Uh, she said uh, that the children would sometimes talk about, you know, what, 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 what would make them full. And they just had no idea of what it meant to be full because they'd never been full. And they would tell, they'd say, would a mountain of food make you, make you, uh, full? And they said, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I could eat a mountain of food. They just have no idea of, of uh, we, in America here, we have, a, we have a problem with eating too much. We, our problem is just the opposite of when do we stop eating? For many of us, if you're something like me, <laughs> you, you, that's what you struggle with. When do I stop eating? But over there, it is just the opposite. And so, um, the... Uh, 
they, they live in a, a place where there is no truth, and that has had a terrible, terrible effect upon their lives. It's destroyed the family. Um, you know, the family, the family is not to do anything. It, it, they, there's only one radio station, and you're, you can get in trouble for uh, listening to a different radio station, or you can get in trouble for not listening to the state radio station. You know, it's just playing all the time with these messages that keep coming over and over and repeating and cycled, and you're supposed to listen to all that. And so you, you certainly you can get in trouble for listening to some alien radio station beyond the one that comes over the radio, but you can also be in trouble for turning the radio off. If you turn the radio off, does that mean that you don't love um, Kim uh, Il-un or that you see him as the uh, the supreme leader of Korea? And she says that really the, 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 the uh, Kim family is really like God to the Koreans so that they don't... They don't have any idea of the Lord. And they're also brutalized by hunger, this ongoing hunger, starvation. Uh, the parents are always trying to sacrifice for their children, such as it is, such as their devotion helps them to understand. But um, there is this societal confusion that, uh, that uh, uh, goes on. Um, the, when we turn to the Bible, we are we have a, a luxury of truth that God gives us. He tells us about Himself. He tells us about our creation. He tells us who we are. He tells us what we're supposed to yearn for. What what the desires of our life should be. He tells us about the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And, uh, and, and all things should be added unto you if you make that the, the pearl at great Christ that you seek. And of course, at the heart of the kingdom is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us in terms of our sin. But there's no, there's no theology like that over in North Korea. Um, and um, um, uh, Yoni Park, uh, she... she Arrived in well. First, they went to China. They escaped to China, and through then through from China, they got into the West. But um, she said that really, she they, they, she arrived when they got over the border, and they arrived in China. At least in China, there was an, there was more food. But she said, I just I just had to begin my life all over again to learn what it was like to have more food and to. Uh, there was a lot of persecution in China too, but not as much as in North Korea. And so, um, they, uh, her, her mother and her, her, they were separated. Her sister was separated. They had to find each other. It was a very rough um, departure, and um, but they, they were able to find each other. And they were able then, just step by step, like climbing a ladder, wrong by wrong, they were able to start synthesizing with their with the what they. What they learned was their knowledge or their, their, their universe of ideas. They began to synthesize one thing upon another, upon another, upon another, until she learns English and writes a book like this. And uh, uh, I think Peterson wanted to interview her because he's dealing, he's struggling so much with Canadian Marxism and the university system of there 
that he thought that if you brought, if you have a really negative view of it, or if you can see the effects of it, if you can see the iniquity of it because of the loss of truth, that then that would make his job a little bit easier. And, and um, he's not Jordan is not a, a, a avowed evangelical. Many of us feel like he's working in that direction, but he's not there yet. But he he does see that he sees the evils of uh, some of these humanistic systems that then have have caused so much harm in our modern world where people are dying and uh, they have so much persecution. <clears throat> and he sees where uh, the truth, and of course we don't agree with him on the truth exactly because he, 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 he imposes himself over the Bible. We say, no, you can't do that. If God, if God is speaking, then God's word is authoritative over everything, over every human opinion. And the only way of blessing, the only real way of blessing is to accept the Lord, what the Lord has said, and then follow that. And that will lead you to the, the that will lead you to the way of blessing. So that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If if you if you come to grips with the Lord, the living God, the God who created the world, if you come to grips with his only begotten son, who has made this great sacrifice, shown us the way, and uh, discipled us, discipled 12 men originally, very closely, 140 in a larger larger discipling unit, and then others beyond that. But if you, if you accept his leadership, then uh, you will uh, come to... Uh, really be able to live a fertile and positive life. And after all that he did, he gave us this meal as a kind of blossom on the flower of, of, of his life. And he gives us this meal as this celebration, this glor glorification of his life, so that if we would eat it together, that it would remind us of all that he uh, has done. <clears throat> And so as we come together today, I want you to think about the fact that this is a meal, it's a sacrament, but it's more than that. It is this um, the glorification of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, 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 came, he was born into this world as an infant. He lived his life. Uh, and then he, at the end of his life, he gave it up that, we might, that he might make a sacrifice for us, an atonement for our sin. And he, he, after he does all that, the, the, the last week of his life, he gives us this meal to symbolize that and to help us to remember it so that we, we can learn about him through the words of the Bible, through the propositions of the scripture, through these sentences that we read, these holy, godly sentences, but we can also uh, get some insight of him through the Lord's Supper. And it becomes a really wonderful experience and reminds us of all that he was when you see there when you see a rose bloom or some white lily or something like that you think well whatever glory that that flower had it certainly comes out in the most glorious visible way through the blossom through the flower on the plant and so it is with the lord's supper it's a very special memory a very special sacrament, which literally means a holy thing, that the Lord Jesus left us so that eating and drinking together, we might be united in this great cause of the kingdom of God and bringing it to pass upon this earth. Uh, let me close in prayer. Our Father and our God, 
we see people in this world like Yoni Park, they sometimes, by their lives and by the differences of, from their, of their lives from ours, they sometimes help us to understand ourselves in a way that we didn't before. Uh, especially when we compare our lives to the life of the Lord Jesus and his teachings, we realize that there's a whole other way of life that's possible through the living God. If we deny him, if we turn from him, if we repress him, our lives will be entirely different. We, and we live in a day, oh Lord, where our, from our public schools to our vocations, to our various cultural enterprises, everybody, almost everybody it seems, is saying that it's possible to live a very fruitful, successful life without giving glory to the living God. But this meal today teaches us something different. It teaches us that without um, the, the scriptures, without the background of the scriptures, especially without the Son, without the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done and taught, that our lives will be very different. And if we're tempted to believe that, if we're tempted to disbelieve that, oh Lord, then we have examples of, of great cruelty in world history. Um, whether it's the, the, the cruelty that um, <clears throat> uh, that uh, <clears throat> Uh, was experienced by Ethiopians or the, the cruelty that was experienced um, by <clears throat> um, uh, the Eastern Europeans or the cruelty that was experienced by the Finns or the, the, the cruelty that, uh, that we're see experiencing the Chinese Christians experiencing today, O Lord. Thou hast said, those who hate me love death. The iniquity that follows when we reject the living God is amazing. It's so dynamic in the worst ways possible. But if we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, if we accept the creator God of the Bible and his gospel, then all things can become new and all things can become fruitful and wonderful. Bless us, O Lord, then, we pray, as we come to this meal today. Help us to see that it is in and through this meal is woven the truth. And then as we eat and drink, thy symbolism to ourselves, thy, uh, thy righteousness and thy atonement for sin, we pray that we might great, more greatly appreciate the truth of these things, the truth of thy great name and being. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.